0: Um, the barrio assemblies and these like, you know, grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church.
1: What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to The Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Dean Dalloff, a PhD student at the Institute for Christian Studies in Toronto.
0: And I'm Matt Brunica. I teach media studies at Greenville University in Greenville, Illinois.
1: Uh, This week, I am also in Greenville, Illinois, because it's Matt's birthday, and I was a big surprise. Yep,
0: yeah, didn't even see it coming. Dean just walked into my backyard on Friday night, and I was surprised. Spooked. Spooked you, real, real spooked.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I've been hanging out here. It's been a good time. Um, I don't know, didn't get up to too many crazy things, but we did go to a communist-themed bar last night. That was pretty good.
0: <laughs> it was surprisingly good. It was, it was <laughs> great. They had lots of uh, Soviet posters.
1: That's right. They had some good uh, Soviet-themed drinks, but also a drink named after the Tsar. That's a bit weird.
0: It was grapefruit, though. It was pretty good.
1: Yeah, well, grapefruit Tsar. <laughs> <laughs> grapefruit Tsar. <czar. laughs> yeah, it was good, though. I don't know. couldn't quite work out what was going on there, if it was a kind of weird, like, sim simulation of communism. Yeah, <laughs> like... it was extremely culture industry, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> but uh, that's fine.
0: Yeah, it was good. And we also ate some good... Uh... Some good pizza with vegetarian pepperonis
1: yeah at a punk pizza place so you know they're doing it right also, Authentic political ideology also pre-culture industry <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah it was dope though it was really good my wife planned it all and it was a extremely good birthday
1: yeah it was a good time yeah uh so anyway we haven't done a, an episode just the two of us in a long time so we thought we'd do that especially because we're in the same room that's always a good time and uh we didn't know what to do, so I dug out this book and I brought it here, uh, called "Communism in the Bible" by Jose Miranda, a really neat Mexican Catholic priest. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today instead of interviewing someone because we've been really hitting it hard. I feel like with the interviews lately.
0: Yeah, too many interviews, <laughs> too many good interviews that require us to do a lot of work. So this one. Yeah. We just have to talk to each other.
1: Yep. No work involved. <laughs> just play. Um. Yeah, it's a great book. Uh, it's also great because we're always ripping on uh, jacques Louis's Anarchy and Christianity, and this is like the communist version of Jacques-Aleu's Anarchy and Christianity. Um, but it's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it has like some similar hang-ups, but I find it way easier to overlook them.
0: Yeah, I think so too. It's also a good... Um... A good comparison because they're both extremely short books.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Extremely short books with lots of exegesis.
1: Yeah, both like really biblically grounded attempts to make an argument for like the synthesis of politics and Christianity.
0: Yeah, that's right. So all you evangelicals out there with friends who are like, mm, but is it biblical Christianity? <laughs> Give them this book. And they'll be like, it is.
1: They'll be like, actually... It might be the most biblical Christian. It's actually
0: extremely biblical. Yeah,
1: I I learned a lot actually about how biblical my communism was. I had no idea.
0: (laughs) I didn't know it was so (laughs) biblical. In fact,
1: yeah, always good to find out the Bible agrees with you. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, so the book Communism in the Bible, as you uh, might guess, is about uh the ways that communism actually shows up in the Bible. Um, so the main kind of thesis or gist behind the book is kind of a cool one. I think it's wrong or like a little bit wrong. Yeah. Anyways, the it thesis needs, it is, needs
1: to be nuanced. It is.
0: Yeah, it needs to be way more nuanced. The thesis is this that communism doesn't originate in Marx, but it is present in the Bible and it's like
1: like traceable or has an origin in Christianity.
0: Right. Specifically has an origin yeah. in Christianity. That's where the nuance is needed because yeah. like there were some like, you know, <laughs> like proto-communists <laughs> before.
1: Yeah. Acts. For sure. And also, um, establishing an originary communist tradition in the Book of Acts is not super. I don't know; those people aren't going to recognize what was happening in the Bolshevik Revolution. Just no doubt about that.
0: Yeah, exactly. It also like uh, erases a lot of other like things that are happening in other places. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's like exactly. it, it's a nice point for recall for Christians, and it's a good rhetoric, but needs some nuance. Yeah, but, but let's give it to you.
1: We'll find some of it. <laughs> Um, Yeah, so the argument is basically, the the good part is that Christianity is communism. However you want to slice it and maybe find some other, like, places that communism is showing up or getting more complicated throughout history. Like, that's the gist that Miranda wants to establish, that Christianity doesn't just uh, have a, like, relationship to communism. It is a communism. And he opens the book saying that if a Christian said to him that they were anti-Marxist, he'd be like, okay, we can have a conversation about that, but, like, that's fine. But that's a different thing than saying that you're anti-communist. And I think that's actually a good argument. Um, It needs to be talked about some more, for sure. But uh, the point is basically there are more communisms than Marxism, and uh, Christians should at least maybe start there, like thinking through how there might be a a communism sort of indigenous to Christianity.
0: Yeah, I think that's good. Um, That is like a pretty interesting thing to say. Not actually that radical of an idea. I mean, if... um... Okay, I mean, the word, as the word communism denotes, like, what's at the center of communism is the community. So, like, political, um, political arrangements that are about, sort of, like, that, like, community and commonality. Yeah. Right? That makes sense? Easy enough. <laughs> Easy enough. But the one that, uh, the, the type of communism we find in the Church of Acts is, I think, similar in a lot of ways to, like, sort of, like, the Marxist philosophy of communism. Um but different in a lot of other ways, too. There's a, there's a strong connection between those two things, but uh, the point of the whole thing is that communi- communism is larger than Marxism, um, but the type of communism you see in the Church of Acts is kind of similar to Marxism in yeah. some ways.
1: Yeah, and I think you could say something like, um, communism is bigger than Marxism... Uh, but the communism that Christianity has should naturally make you talk to Marxists. I think that's yeah. Miranda's subpoint. point. Like he is a Marxist. It's just that in this book, he's trying to make an argumentative appeal that maybe eases Christians into that a little more softly.
0: Right. It's, um, it's definitely a book full of rhetoric that should like maybe persuade you yourself to think about Marxism in a little bit of a different light, but it's also one of those books that's really good at building that like left Christian dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um. So Nothing else. Even if you'd find yourself not a Marxist, it's a good book, because it'll make you a little bit more aware of some of those things going on between Marxism and Christianity.
1: Yeah, I think, too, it's worth kind of saying a little bit more about how communism is bigger than Marxism, maybe, for a minute, before we don't jump into the Miranda stuff. Mm -hmm. Because, like, it's true. Uh, There were communists before Karl Marx and Frederick Engels. Uh, They were part of a communist party. Yeah, Um, exactly. Uh, we have come to identify Marxism and communism, I think, for a lot of good reasons. Like, Marxism happened to be one of the ways that communism actually got kind of realized in a lot of parts of the world. And many of the non-Marxist forms of communism didn't, for a lot of different reasons. Um, But at the end of the day, like, there's a lot to be said about what happened before Marx, what was happening around Marx, and uh, maybe especially what was happening with Christianity and communism. So we've done a little bit of that work already with, like, the Win Stanley stuff and the Thomas Munzer stuff, uh, but there's loads of others. Um, Matt, I know you're into, like, the Situationists. They've got some things to say about that.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, the Situationists, I mean, okay, it's hard to kind of identify them as a cohesive group all the time because uh, the Situationists, like, always wanted to sort of resist that fixity. Like, they weren't a party. Right. You can't be a Situationist now. Yeah, what just... is that, by the way, for people who don't know <laughs> what a situation is? Yeah, is at all. Uh, situation. Uh, the Situationists were like a group of weirdos in France um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that were active uh, between like the mid '50s and then like uh, late '60s. Um, there are a lot of folks involved, like filmmakers and artists and philosophers and all kinds of people. Um, the two kind of primary Situationist folks that people know most about are Guy Debord and uh, Raoul Vanayem. Uh Guy Debor is like the more communist, or I guess like at least the most the more Marxist one, and uh Vinayim is like the one that's really an anarchist. Um, neither of I mean, maybe that's overstating it even, like Debor has a really complicated relationship with Marx. There's a great critique that he gives of Marx in the book The Science Spectacle, mm-hmm. which isn't a big deal. Anyways, um the situationists, um, they were like kind of like a political group. That's I guess one way to put it. They uh they were like a, a really early moment in um leftist politics and postmodernism, and like the idea was that um like all of society was being sort of replaced by like the spectacle of society which is really complicated (laughs) go read *Society of the spectacle it's a really good book um anyway so they decided they decided like the way that you have to be political is like trying to find ways to disrupt the spectacle of society and they did that through like pranks and um subversive films board games board games, stealing art, all kinds of good stuff. Um, anyways, <laughs> long story short, <laughs> one of them is a guy named Raul Vanayem. Raul Vanayem is a really cool um, anarchist thinker. He is not a fan of Christianity at all, but mm-hmm. he is a really big fan of like a really heretical sect of Christianity called um, Brethren of the Free Spirit. And uh, basically, they were like a really like type of lawless Christians uh, in Germany who thought like, um who take who took the idea of like um the idea the idea of like the sort of christian communism really seriously and that like um if God provides grace to everybody then you can't really commit a sin if you're a Christian, so they like stole things from rich people and <laughs> Did whatever
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and there's loads of those examples too in the history of christianity yeah. some more heretical and some more orthodox uh but i mean there's a big case to be made that there's all kinds of resources waiting to be mined and in many cases have already been mined yeah marxist if that's something thing you're
0: interested in uh Rove and I has a book that's just called brethren of the free spirit and it's like a history of like what they're all about it is kind of a bummer though because in the introduction he's like listen, this isn't supposed to be a political <laughs> book. And it's like, <laughs> shut up. Yeah, it is. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, there's also a bunch of free books from him on, like, the Anarchist Library website. And stuff yeah. Like that, so. Yeah, you can find them everywhere. Yeah. Um, whatever.
0: But, like, um, anyways, that's a really good investigation of, like, where someone from the left is kind of kind of investigating the ways uh, Christian communism looked in the world at a certain time, right? Like, yeah. Like, during yeah. medieval culture.
1: Right. And then, of course, like we said in the other two episodes, as mentioned earlier, like, Engels and Marx both looked to people like Munzer and win Stanley and others to kinda of get inspiration, even though they tried to separate them from their Christianity. I mean, they were wrong about that and that's fine, we can say that. Uh, but like there's a continuity there and a really interesting thread. So all that say, I think Miranda's actually right to say that like if you said you're an anti Marxist, it's actually important that you say that doesn't mean you're an anti communist. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um a little bit of a different, like I mean, there's something going on in that rhetoric that doesn't quite translate to today, but yeah. you get the point.
1: And even like, I mean, there are lots of anarchists today who would say that they're not Marxists, but they are communists. Yeah, right. That's so. true.
0: Good for them. Yeah. Um, I know this is kind of besides the point, uh, but I think it is really troubling to me. Like the the brand of communism is sort of like. Not looking so good. <laughs> like, people are really good yeah. to say that they're socialist or they're Marxist even, but people rarely say they're just a communist.
1: Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, think that's so. stupid. Yeah.
0: Being communist is awesome.
1: Yeah, it's really good. It just... <laughs> In fact, as Miranda says, if you're a Christian, you are a communist. And if you're not a communist, you're not a Christian. Oh, sick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's a good way to get into this, maybe. Um, reviving the brand of communism by looking at the Bible. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's do it. Uh, so Miranda gives, a, I think, a pretty good argument for why communism was a necessary part of early Christianity, and we can talk about that. Um, but he also struct- structures the book with kind of a, an imaginary conversation partner. So there's like a secret capitalist Christian theologian. And they're always saying dumb stuff. And Miranda's like, here's a, here's what someone would say, and here's why that would be a bad idea.
0: Yeah, and the dumb stuff, too, doesn't come across as, like, too straw man-ish either. I yeah, think that actually. The, I think that the things that he raises are things I see people say all the time online.
1: Yeah, whatever. and he, like, allows them to have the premise assumed, even though he, like, shoots it right down. Yeah. Uh, but he gives it a minute.
0: It's a good, um, a good tactic though. Sort of employing an imaginary yeah. uh, conversation partner. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, so, like, maybe we should say the basic thrust of the argument is not very hard to get. Mm-hmm. The basic thrust is that um, Luke in the Book of Acts—that's where he roots it all—in Acts two and Acts four—and he says, um, "Hey, a lot of theologians do a lot of work to say that these kinds of um, experiments in community living were um, not necessary, or they were optional, or they were extremely local, or not prescriptive or normative, or whatever." But he thinks that there's actually a lot of good exegetical reason to think that the original Greek text or whatever is saying, no, that's not the case. In fact, uh, it is really obvious that like you had to be a communist if you wanted to be part of early Christianity. And then he works backwards from that premise to make some arguments about Jesus' ministry and the prophetic tradition of the Bible and all that kind of stuff. But it all sort of orbits around those two passages in Acts. Does that seem like a good summary, maybe? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, so one of the kind of, um, one of the best, like, rebuttals he does, I think, this is a good way of getting into it, of, like, people who don't agree with that, obviously, is, uh, (laughs) he says, like, um, even if someone says that communism was optional for early Christians, um, which is, like, how some theologians present an anti-communist case, right? Like, yeah, of course, they were, I guess, kind of communists, but that was just an option. Um, Miranda says that that means communism was still a positive option, and it shouldn't make any sense for Christians to, like, oppose it on principle, since it's so obviously there. Uh, So here's a good, like, quote that I think also gives an example of the rhetoric that he's using. Um, So he writes, Let us suppose that, according to Luke, communism was optional. I answer, but you combat it as if it were evil. According to yourselves, the Bible merely recommends it, so you prohibit it. Optional ought to mean that we Christians may opt for it. Nevertheless, you persecute as seditious and criminal and anti-Christian whoever opts for communism. So it's great because that's kind of his rhetorical strategy. Like he calls the kind of argumentative bluff on a lot of these anti-communist arguments. And uh, he's like, all right, even if you were right, which you're not, that's (laughs) sort of the the way he frames it, uh, you would still be wrong ultimately, right? Um, And I think that's actually kind of an unassailable point. Like, yeah, no matter how you look at it, clearly communism was an option for christians and mm-hmm. you kind of have to figure out why you wouldn't opt for it that's really the burden of proof i think
0: yeah um i mean we see we see exactly this kind of rhetorical strategy against or sort of the anti-communist rhetorical strategy against um against communism all the time especially when like um center right and even like a lot of left-wing people mm-hmm. talk about the book of acts and sort of like the role of the church or whatever like uh, a few weeks ago we had we had we asked what was that guy's name? Pastor something. Anti-communist pastor. We asked him a question. Oh, yeah.
1: No, I don't remember. Yeah, Just don't anti-communist guy.
0: Anti-communist pastor.
1: Yeah. Pastor bad guy.
0: Pastor bad guy. <laughs> pastor moneybags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: he looks like the monopoly guy.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he has a monocle. It's weird. Um, Anyways, that was basically his strategy, too. It was like, well, um, you know, like, it's true that the church next did this, but uh, not very. Mi- it didn't, like, work out. And uh, <laughs> obviously, like, no one does it anymore. Yeah, But it's like, it's clearly, it clearly was an option. So like, why, like, why not? Like, what's sort of the roadblock to it? And what like those, um, those questions get shut down really quick with it just like being like, well, no one does that. So right. Who cares?
1: It's really ironic because you basically just end up being like, yeah, well, the early Christians were just dumb and wrong. Yeah, basically it is. Yeah. It's like
0: such a dismissive thing to not really consider that as, as a real option for what churches ought to look like or how Christians should operate yeah. in a community to just kind of like brush it off with like, well, I don't know. It's over now. Yeah. It's like uh, you don't really care then, I guess.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think too, I made the same point back then at that point, but uh, like many pastors who will dismiss that as a non normative option are like really quick to be like, but also women can't be pastors. Yeah, exactly. Because like the early church wasn't. So it's like, you know, we all pick and choose what we think is normative, but I think that Miranda actually makes pretty clear that this is a little more normative than uh, many of the other practices.
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, And it's like good to highlight that. Just because um, it clearly is just like an ideological point for yeah. people where they don't want to even like consider it or whatever. Right.
1: Yeah. So there's also, I think, maybe one kind of last like uh, um, anecdote here uh, that Miranda talks about with the act setting in particular is the Ananias uh, episode. Um, so, yeah, Matt. Um, can you recount that for me a little bit? Because I am rusty on my biblical scene setting in my brain.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, so in Acts uh, chapter 5, books 1 through 11. I don't know mm-hmm. off the top of my head. I looked it up. I'm chapter not...
1: 5, books 1 through 11? Oh my god. Cha- oh.
0: <laughs> <Books>? <laughs> Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Yeah, okay. Yeah, whatever, man. Uh, the, <laughs> the pericope is entitled uh, Ananias and Sapphira. It's like one of these really weird uh, stories because um, something like, something happens that I think is really hard for Christians to kind of deal with because it's sort of outside the norm of the way that they think that that God acts or what God does. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a story about Ananias, um, a rich person, and his wife, Sapphira, who's also, I guess, a rich person. I don't know how that works. By proxy. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, maybe they have separate banking accounts, who knows. Um, (laughs) But uh, basically, they're trying to sort of join the Christian community. Um, Peter tells them, like, sure, you can do that, but you have to give up your wealth. Um, and then, um, basically like what happens is Ananias is like, okay, I'll do that. And he doesn't. Um, and then when he doesn't do that, uh, the Holy Spirit like kills him, <laughs> which is like, uh, I guess uncomfortable. Cause like, I don't know really how we, we deal with that or what we make of that. Um, and, uh, here, I'll just actually read, I'll read the verse cause it's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. So he says, then Peter said, So this, like, thing happens, and Ananias is supposed to, like, sell his property and give the money to the community, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says he does it, but he didn't do it. Um, so anyways, the, the point here, like, um, like, like, God kills him, I guess. Like, I guess yeah. that's how we read that. I, it's kind of a crazy thing. So the question then becomes, like, for um, uh, Miranda is, like, the, like, what's happening here? Like, what is going on in this kind of, like, pretty wacky story? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not wacky. It's just, like... Uh, like miraculous or astounding or strange, all of those things probably. Um, but like basically, the point is that, um, he is like supposed to be giving his money up to the community and kind of participating in like the Christian communism that's happening, and he lies about it. And because of that, like God takes that very seriously. So it's kind of this really interesting thing in the Bible, and it's again like hard and weird to deal with, but like it tells you how seriously the early church thought about, um, of like pooling one's resources with mm-hmm. everyone else in the community
1: so let me give you a um an example of how at least i've heard like a couple of theologians yeah. in my life uh sidestep this issue and then um maybe you can tell me how miranda solves it so uh like i've brought this up to a few folks and then they usually say yeah well he like lied about um selling all or like giving all the money from the land to the common pool so the sin is that he lied about it. The sin isn't really that he, like, withheld some of it or any anything like that. It's just that, like, he said he was going to do something, and he didn't. And, like, that was the problem, right? Right. Uh. So, I don't know. How does Miranda sort that out differently?
0: Yeah. Uh, pretty explicitly, actually. <laughs> Uh so uh Miranda says uh about this Ananias sort of episode, he says, uh Peter does not tell Ananias that he could have come into the Christian community without renouncing the private ownership of his goods, nor could he say such a thing after it was explicitly emphasized uh that of the Christians. Not a single one said anything was his. Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit by pretending to become a Christian via simulated renunciation. So um it's like the entryway into the community has like a price. Right, um, and it's like giving up sort of your wealth, um, and to pretend to do that is really—it's like acting in bad faith, it's disingenuous, mm-hmm. it's lying. That's sure, tr- that's true, um, but like he didn't. He didn't like want to participate, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, to say you want to, well, not is um, dishonest, but it it like it just really demonstrates that this is like a serious thing. It's not right. um, it's not just an option, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And also, it, it's only an
1: option so far as you can either be into it or out of it. Yeah, right. And uh, Miranda makes that clear too that like Ananias could have just not been a Christian if he wanted to. Yeah, but he wanted to, so that means you have
0: to. But like. Just a little bit. Yeah, right. I don't know. It's wild.
1: It is. Um, yeah, so I think like it's important for people to read the rest of Miranda's arguments and kind of fill out the picture. I mean, the thing we can summarize, I guess, that we keep coming back to is that Christianity just is communism. There's no, uh, it's not like communism. It doesn't have a relationship to communism. It just is one. And mm-hmm. Miranda thinks there's all kinds of reasons that that got off the rails and he tries to give some of them, etc. But, like, that's what he's trying to say. Um, I think there is a couple of points that we can kind of bring out about that as well. Um, so we can talk about his view of Jesus in just a second, but it might be good to bring this back to the Rosa Luxemburg stuff that we did yeah. a while back as well. Um, so in her essay, uh, Socialism in the Churches, Rosa Luxemburg makes this argument that the early Christians were communists, too. But she says, she creates this really good distinction about how she calls them communists of consumption rather than communists of production. And uh, so basically you sell all your stuff and then everybody consumes all that stuff together. It's not individual consumption. Uh, But you don't end up like keeping the things that were productive and then making those communally owned. And she thinks that's kind of a problem. Yeah. And at that time we agreed that that was a problem. Yeah, Uh, So that's really good, I think. Um, And I think what's interesting is that uh, Miranda is a little bit um, maybe intentionally confusing, but in any case, confusing about what he thinks that that communism actually is. Uh, I mean, he seems to assume that if you wanted to be a communist today, you should probably do it in a Marxist way. And he talks about owning, like, the means of production collectively and all that stuff. So he clearly is trying to get people to follow that communism of production bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But what do you think about maybe creating some distance between what Moran is doing and what Luxembourg identifies in the early church?
0: I mean, I think that, um, well, I think that we can see them, I mean, as really similar projects with, I think, some similar ends in mind. Mm -hmm. But um, they're two different types of analyses, right? Like, Miranda's analysis is not one that's, like, material. It's, like, a textual analysis of the early church and sort of, like, an exegesis. And that's fine. And, like, but Luxembourg is thinking more through the historical conditions that are kind of in place there. So I think that um, Miranda's good and Luxembourg is good, but I feel like Miranda needs a little dose of Luxembourg.
1: Yeah, I agree. Because, <laughs> 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 like, it's good to say that Christianity is communism. But uh, it's also good to say why that communism uh, got maybe supplanted by, like, Marxist communism, for example. Yeah. Like, there's a reason. And it's not just because of ideology.
0: Right. Um. It's because, like, the analysis is good.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and because if you have just the communism of consumption, eventually you're going to run out of stuff.
0: Yeah, exactly. You need the uh, means of production.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Which Miranda seems to agree with, but, like, doesn't identify the problem.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, he uh, wouldn't disagree, probably. Yeah. Just something that's like, I, again, I think because of the type of analysis of the text he's doing, it's just like not sort of in his vision.
1: Right, right. Yeah, it's almost like you could actually probably help him prove some of his points even by drawing the Luxemburg stuff. Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah. The danger, I guess, would be giving some ammunition to reactionary theologians, but...
0: Yeah, what ammunition do you think you'd give him?
1: Well, I mean, they might be like, Yeah, well, the early church advocated a communism consumption, but not production, right?
0: Like uh, yeah. and
1: uh you'd get that argument with I think two kind of factions. One is the um sort of intentional community movement, right? Where everyone is sharing their consumptive means. Yeah. That's fine. Um, and the other is a kind of more conservative but somewhat like it takes itself to be a radical Christianity where uh it's like building a society in the shell of the old right well i mean that's
0: yeah like the benedict option for sure yeah exactly so
1: you're kind of just waiting it out like waiting out the till the eschaton comes and god judges everything and like you're safe right
0: yeah um i think recognizing too that the communism that is christianity in miranda's case is one that is like um good for christians but not sufficient for everybody right right because like if you just take miranda's con like Oh, Christianist communism, there is kind of like a, a Christian supremacist a Christian supremacist kind yeah. of feel to that. Um
1: and he kinda of makes those points too, even in the book. Like there's a couple lines where he says something to the effect of like uh Christian should be into communism because it's Christianity that's gonna help you be a good communist. You know? Yeah. And it's like, well no yeah not always (laughs) yeah clearly (laughs) uh so maybe we can kind of start working backwards a little bit to some of the other arguments he makes he has a long exegesis of like the biblical prophets i feel like they're that's kind of straightforward yeah i don't know don't really need to cover that terrain they like justice surprise Mm -hmm. uh (laughs) you already knew that um (laughs) but uh the stuff he says about jesus is really kind of interesting i think i think so so in the first chapter, he talks about how Marx says that the early Christians failed because they weren't political. And it's kind of a Luxembourg point there, too, right? That, like, they didn't build a movement, um, right. despite being cool. Yeah. Um, and he, Miranda, wants to make the case that Jesus actually was political and was trying to lead a kind of people's movement, even though it looked different than you might suspect. Right. Uh, so did anything really, like, jump out at you in that uh, that picture of, like, Jesus as a political figure?
0: Yeah, I think what comes across is that like is is a thing that like um like the new monastic kinda of people are really good at pointing out all the time. That like Jesus is sort of like political in the way that you're not always expecting him to be political, right? He's mm-hmm. like sort of a countercultural figure. And um I think that actually works really well with identifying him like as a person of a movement but not like a a movement that's trying to um like like, he's not trying to become, like, a new emperor or something like that, yeah, right? Yeah, There's, like, something different going on, and I think that works. Um, I think the way that Miranda talks about Jesus is really similar to the way that Huey P. Newton talks about him in, like, the, what's that, the essay called, The Son oh, yeah. of Man? Yeah, yeah that's yeah.
1: right. I think that comes from the revolutionary suicide. That's like. right, yeah, yeah, it does,
0: yeah. Well, it's similar in the sense that, like, in both, Jesus is, like, the leader of sort of a, like, a popular front or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um. Again, I think it's a little bit different type of popular front than, like, maybe the Black Panthers was. It has, like, a different yeah. logic because it's, like, a way different, like, you know, s- situation. Right. Um, it is, like, a, a really um, counterintuitive kind of political logic, but I think it is one. I, mm-hmm. think, that, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, if Christians weren't really political, then, like, maybe they probably, they probably wouldn't have gotten killed so much. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I think that's a helpful point. Yeah. Christians actually were political. Um, and that's not the reason that uh, a Christian communism sort of fell to the wayside.
1: Yeah, I think, too, this is a really useful book in an American context, uh, at least in my experience, because so many people I know who are into cool Christianity, like genuinely good versions of it or whatever, are like really good about saying, no, Jesus was political, right? He mm-hmm. had political stances, political uh, activities, behaviors, all that kind of stuff. So you don't want to have like an apolitical Jesus. That's really good. Um, and a lot of those people draw off from of people like John Howard Yoder and also Jacques Lule. Uh But both of those figures make the case that Jesus is political in his nonviolence or in his pacifism. Yeah. And so he's trying to show you a different way of being political altogether. Mm-hmm. And I think what's cool about Miranda is he's actually like, uh, actually Jesus is political in the same way that a lot of people are political. Um, the, the specialty, I guess, or the uniqueness of Jesus's politics is like, that all lies in the kind of communist thrust of it, um, like the kingdom of God that he has envisioned is yeah. different than what other political figures are thinking about. Yeah. Um. So whereas, for example, like somebody like Claiborne or something would want to be like, "Well, Jesus wasn't a zealot, right?" Like, well, Miranda would be like, "Yeah, exactly. He was a communist." Um, <laughs> I think that's like a really good and helpful point. It's yeah. like a different political Jesus.
0: It is a different political Jesus. It's also. Man, uh, because the other, th- the other sort of rhetorical strategy that folks in, like, the newman movement do, that, like, they employ, is, like, um, well, uh, Jesus is a political figure, but he's, like, bigger than being a Republican or Democrat. Yeah. And, like, um, saying that is fine, because, like, what you're trying to do, I mean, like, that statement, like, rhetorically is trying to work through is, like, well, um, people of all sort of different political affiliations can be Christians, mm-hmm. and, like, that kind of thing. Um but if it just like rings so hollow when you mm-hmm. read this kind of stuff, it's like, well, he is bigger than like yeah. a Democrat or Republican, but for different reasons than what you think. Right. It just gives like a little bit more, um, more of an interesting take on that. I guess like the the inclusive political Jesus to me feels wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, not that like people who are Republicans or Democrats like aren't authentically Christians. I think that they are, even though like they'll probably run into some problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that like there is something explicitly political about the nature of like Jesus and like the kind of work that Jesus did and yeah. the church did and like to say that like well you can be you can be a Democrat and a Republican and be a completely faithful Christian is uh rough because like you can't <laughs> because like, least, you're like you're actually at odds with so many of these yeah, things.
1: Yeah totally. Or at least I mean I think uh like the Shane Claiborne brand for example of uh would be like He's trying to say, well, maybe you can't be a Democrat or a Republican and be faithful to Jesus. So, like that's the bigger part, I think. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's like the direction that you move to exit the that binary or whatever makes all the difference.
0: Right. And Shane Claiborne's exit that binary is like a real flaccid kind of politics that like, um, like the way that the people at the simple way do it is like cool. Like I don't have any problem with that. Mm-hmm. But it's also not like going to actually like it's a it's a you know does capitalism care if you live in a house with your friends
1: yeah yeah exactly and i mean okay this is a shame one respectful zone i mean whatever he's a good person <laughs> yeah uh, sure i don't want to sound like i'm like bashing him but <laughs> <laughs> i'm not bashing him i promise uh but i do think that um he is naive and i think uh, naive about what it means to be political yeah what it means so. to say that jesus right. is political and that naiveness isn't the kind of naiveness that you would celebrate. Like, I think if you were like, hey Shane Clover, I think you're naive, he'd probably be like, You're right. Like, I just believe what Jesus teaches.
0: Yeah, exactly. And
1: uh, it's like, well, no, like I think that Miranda is trying to suggest actually Jesus teaches something a little more um a little more like definitive than yeah.
0: that. Yeah. Yeah, I think so.
1: Well, maybe we could talk about him about how miranda reads jesus because he actually takes pacifists to task i think yeah a ton yeah in a way that like sometimes i read it and i'm also just like oh i don't know about that dude like you're (laughs) you're a really good exegete but like i've never heard that before
0: (laughs) yeah right yeah there's a lot yeah a lot going on yeah um yeah he has uh, a whole chapter at the end about jesus and violence um he spends a lot of time talking about uh, turning the other cheek and like why you shouldn't say that to people who are like oppressed mm-hmm. I like that a lot actually yeah me too um, well maybe to get the conversation going I'll sort to of quote yeah okay okay here's like the strong point that he makes <laughs> there's a lot of exegetical arguments and again I don't like I don't feel like we are always very good at those, <laughs> yeah,
1: well, people like complain that we don't have enough exegesis on but, like, the show, we're not but, like, good at yeah, it.
0: exactly. Stick to what you know. <laughs> I don't know, sorry, <laughs> let uh, Miranda tell you, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah, I guess so. Well, anyways, uh, Miranda says this is criminal to defend repression by the procedure of quoting to the oppressed the verse about turning the other cheek. The supporters of official theology will have to be punished for discouraging the struggle against injustice with this verse. By the grace of God, I will practice the heroism of presenting the other cheek when I myself have been struck on the first. But this is a personal and individual matter. What Jesus never said is, "If they strike your neighbor on one cheek, turn your neighbor's other cheek." And the proletariat are defending the bread of their wives and children and the lives of all their comrades. So the idea here is, like, I think a pretty good one, and actually, uh, I think a rhetorically helpful and theologically interesting kind of take on this. That, mm-hmm. like, um you, yourself, in the face of oppression and repression and violence, you're allowed to turn the other cheek, um, but you can't turn someone else's cheek for them, or you can't prescri- you can't prescribe that turning of mm-hmm. the other cheek. And that's an interesting idea.
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: Um, You wouldn't want to, uh, yeah, you don't want to turn the cheek of someone else who's, like, really suffering.
1: Right. Uh, I think, too, that last bit where he says uh, the proletariat are defending the bread of their families, I mean, machismo aside that part's bad right Right. the the point that he's trying to make i think stands in spite of that um like the proletariat are trying to defend people who are being oppressed right um so it's like it's nice to kind of come off of the you can't turn someone else's cheek and also these people are working really hard to make a world where like people don't get struck (laughs) yeah exactly
0: yeah um yeah the point about uh sort of machismo is good yeah. <laughs> I, I know some very good Soviet snipers that might like to have a word with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, I think uh I mean there's a lot of other stuff in his picture of Jesus that's really important. I mean, unsurprisingly he really picks up on the cleansing of the temple and says that Jesus clearly endorses violence in that case, which mm-hmm. is true. Like I yeah. don't know how else to get around that. I uh, mean
0: it like it is, but it's a hard sell.
1: Yeah. It's a hard sell, but only because I think they're, you're working on the weight of anti-communist readings of that text. Sure. But if you read the text at face value, even in English translation, like you have to work really hard to say that he wasn't whipping people yeah, out of a temple. Yeah, dude, but
0: people do work hard. I know, I know they do Well, Well, sure. uh, the whip is actually more of like, uh, he found like a stick on the ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was just prodding people away. He was, uh, yeah, shooing them, like yeah, a, yeah. like a person with a broom yeah uh
1: the other irony of that is um like okay so maybe you could try to find a way out of saying he didn't whip human beings or something i think that's probably wrong but still maybe you could even still he's still like flipping over tables and destroying private property.
0: Yeah. Uh yeah, of like business people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> of the of the uh, petite bourgeoisie. Yeah. <laughs> Small business centers in the temple. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. Jesus is more radical
1: than somebody. Like I'm just trying
0: to sell my farmers market goods here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's right. Farm to table, farm to temple. <laughs> um yeah, so I don't know, like he he does some other like really intricate exegetical analyses, like he talks about some stuff that Jesus quotes from the Old Testament mm-hmm. and or from the Hebrew Bible. And uh like he's like yeah, the stuff that Jesus is quoting, you have to look at that in context and a lot of it has to do with like the community's right to punish other people mm-hmm. and in some cases do violence against them and Jesus doesn't seem to have a problem with like quoting that in context or whatever and I'll leave that to other, like, Biblical scholars to hash out, but I think that these two points, especially, I mean, the Temple 1 and the Trinity of the Cheek Point are, like, really good uh, reminders or troubling moments for their folks, pacifist folks.
0: Yeah, I think so. It's, um, it is, I mean, some of it's hard. I think, I think some of it's hard for me just because I kind of came, uh, I came to be an adult kind of thinking through a lot of, like, the pacifist stuff about Jesus, so I still probably have, like, negative reactions, but I don't disagree. I think it's I think it's right to like recognize that there's something. Hmm, I don't know, something violent happening. Yeah, something that I think is unavoidably like you, you can't not describe it as violence, right? Right. Like the like the people who. Okay, I, I mean, like you can probably even compare those things with like anarchist direct action or something. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. they are like really sort of similar. People like are mad about the presence of. Businesses in a place where they ought not be, right? Mm-hmm. And you go in and you like destroy them, and really nice liberal people get mad about it right now, right. and like they'd probably get mad about it then too,
1: right? Right, yeah, exactly. Um, I think it's cool too to bring this back to somebody like a little, yeah, because so many of this, so many items in this book and a little's book, which are written like around the same time now, yeah. that I think about it, because this book came out in '81. I forget when a little's book came out, but it was early '80s, yeah, I think so. Um Yeah, quick Google. Uh, we'll come back to that. Um, I feel like it's interesting to put them right alongside each other because so many of the points are like almost like direct responses to each other. Uh, so like they both have a reading of the Jesus and Caesar stuff. They both have a reading of Mammon. They both have a reading of like Old Testament text. They both have a reading of Jesus as a as a figure or whatever. Um, so I think that helps a lot to like uh just keep them troubling each other in a certain way.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that um i think that miranda's book is actually a really good thing to read like after you read anarchy and christianity i agree Cause, like so many of the questions and so many of the takes that alul has are kind of answered
1: yeah and also he's Miranda's not as uh nervous about working with actual communists
0: yeah it, yeah he's uh he's not a uh go up to the hill with your cows and like <laughs> sit there by yourself kind of person yeah exactly it's good it's really good Anarchy and Christianity was written in nineteen ninety one. Nineteen what? Nineteen ninety one. Ninety one? Yeah, yeah. No. That can't be right. Oh that's the copyright date. Yeah. Dang. Nineteen eighty eight. Okay. That was the year I was born.
1: Oh, congrats. You're as old as Anarchy and Christianity. Happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> that was thirty, 30 years, years ago. ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so I don't know, this one came first, but you should read it after I guess.
0: I don't know. Or you could just skip that one altogether and just read this one.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that's another thing too in this Jesus and Violence chapter is uh he one of the ways that he sets up why you would want to recapture this, I guess, like the violent side of Jesus, mm-hmm. is specifically because he's like capitalism isn't just gonna let you take its stuff. Yeah. And uh, that might mean you have to be violent. And he says that's why Christians kind of have to think through this problem, right? And think through a justification for it that doesn't sound disingenuous or opportunist or anything like that. And uh, I think that's really good because, as we talked about before, I think a really naive about, like, the capitalist society that he's so upset about. Right. Um, like, A, capitalism doesn't care about your cows. Uh, no. But also, like, if it did start to care about your cows... You would have to think about what to do, and if you want to get martyred for your cause, that's fine. But like, yeah. uh, you know, you can't turn your neighbor's cheek.
0: Yeah, yeah, I like that. I think it's it's a challenge. Yeah, it is for for the church in general and for me myself. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, I'd like to know more about Miranda. We were googling a bit before, and uh, it's actually kind of hard to find a lot of really good information in English. So I don't know if you read Spanish and you know more about that. Let us know, but. I couldn't figure out if he was part of any like marxist movement in Mexico or anything. He's clearly a scholar of marxism mm-hmm. um I saw he has like a degree in mathematics, a degree in economics, a degree in theology, so he's like clearly a committed one <laughs> committed marxist <laughs> yeah um but yeah, if that meant like being part of a party or a movement or something not mm-hmm. clear
0: yeah uh, the wikipedia page did say there was kind of like a funny anecdote that was like he um you know he had a he had a degree in economics and he was like uh he was in mexico trying to like give direction to business people, but then was, like, too sympathetic to the workers, <laughs> so they, like, made him leave. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And
1: that's when he did the biblical study, and then he started working on Marx and the Bible. Yeah.
0: It's kind of funny. It's like, uh, man, is that guy a communist? He's making problems? Well, better send him off to school somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Common strategy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, make sure they're trapped in academia for so long that they, like, uh, won't actually cause any problems.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Put them to work on, like, a really dumb, intricate, exegetical problems. <laughs> Yeah.
0: <laughs> academia is like a, a really big escape room yeah and it it's is. like the mo- it's the most challenging escape room and you'll never get out of it
1: <laughs> and it's not team building at all
0: yeah <laughs> yeah it's just like you by yourself
1: <laughs> capitalism is really the ultimate escape room Ooh, that's think what we're it. in
0: yeah that's true yeah uh i know how to get out how uh a big mass movement against capitalism mm. That sounds right. The yeah. team building exercise you need. Is join the party, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you gotta go to paintball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Dang. How how much easier would it be uh to get people to join your party if it was just like, all right, we're gonna paintball?
1: We paintball every weekend and uh that's just part of it. We yeah. read marks after.
0: Uh communist paintball, followed by marks, uh and then at night, communist D and D. That's right. Bring him to your church. Oh yeah.
1: Uh do you ever play AirSoft in church?
0: Uh yes. Me too. Like, it wasn't, like, an officially church-sponsored thing. Ours was
1: a youth pastor-led oh my gosh. match.
0: Now that's on brand for youth pastors. Yeah. We just played, like, after youth group.
1: Oh, yeah. Now it was like, in the church and everything. Yeah. So, I mean, churches already train people to be reactionaries and uh, violent for capitalism, so, you Might know. Might as
0: well do the opposite.
1: Yeah, the one that's in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's something. There's no capitalism in the Bible. I yeah. just want to say that. I think it seems like a really obvious point, but it isn't for some reason. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, we could say that, and I think it's true. I think it requires some clarification, because there are people who think that there is capitalism in the Bible. Yeah, of Like, course. for example, uh, <laughs> I was at, like, um, okay, so when faculty interview at my institution, like, when there's a like, job opening in, yeah. like, a department or whatever, they bring them in, they make them give, like, a guest lecture, and, like, people, like, drill them on mm-hmm. whatever. And uh, there's one guy that was interviewing for the business department, and he was like, um, he was, like well, I'm a pastor, and I'm an economist. And uh, let me tell you about these two things. So he's like talking about his work as an economist. And then someone's like, okay, like, how does that work out with your Christianity? Like, what kind of difference does that make? And he's like, well, I use all kinds of biblical stories to tell people about economics. And they're like, okay, which ones? Uh, <laughs> and it's like uh, the one where is it the one where Jesus pays all of the people all the laborers the same, the same exact age. Age. Yeah, the communist <laughs> parable is it that one
1: yeah is it the
0: one where Jesus tells a rich young ruler that he like to go away and like sell all those things you should tell him that one is it
1: the one where uh, is it the one where Jesus like doesn't have enough food so he just like makes it out of magic
0: <laughs> and then doesn't sell it to people
1: yeah and they like <laughs> pick up the extras left over <laughs> Is it the one where, uh, like, uh, someone's like, can you serve God of money? He just says no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it's the one where you're supposed to pay your taxes, actually. Yeah, but, the,
1: but then you get out of a fish's face.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, there you go. There's no capitalism in the Bible.
1: There's not. I mean, I think, too, it's also really important to be, uh, to keep coming back to that nuance about communism in the Bible, about production and consumption. Yeah. Because, like, yeah. There is no communism in the Bible in a Marxist sense. Yeah. That's true because like the political economy was different. There wasn't a proletariat in ancient Rome. That's just not a thing. Uh, but there's a through line that you can draw between yeah. the primitive communism there and the communism we should have today.
0: So I think that we can kind of wrap up this conversation um, by referencing um, our patron saint Karl Marx. Um, so, in the German ideology, I think he makes a really helpful kind of observation about what, it is, what, like, what communism is, mm-hmm. um, I think that it really resonates with the kind of conversation that we've been having right now. So, um, in the German ideology, Marx says that communism is not like a stable state. Like, communism isn't like a form, right. of, a form of government that you can just kind of employ, even though that's the way we talk about it most times. Like, oh, you like communism? Go to Venezuela, idiot. <laughs> um like but that's like that's not like the marxist way to talk about communism that's like the uh, liberal media kind of way to yeah, talk about they even communists yeah exactly <laughs> um anyway, so Marx says that yeah communism isn't a stable state, but it's like the entire um like it's the entire historical narrative of um moving sort of like forward mm. and progressing against like uh, uh like class struggle it's like mm-hmm. it's like, it's, like, it's like this entire thing so like it I mean, you you could read that in a lot of different ways, I suppose, but um, communism is like the movement against the state of things. Mm-hmm. Is I think the actual phrase he uses, and that's helpful in the sense that like um, communism doesn't always look exactly the same because it kind of emerges out of historical conditions and like right. that's whole thing going on. So the communism in the Bible isn't a Marxist communism, and that's like not a problem because mm-hmm. it wasn't available to those people. Um, it wasn't available to Peter in the Bible and the, and the church and whatever, uh, but it is available to us and like you know. We could, maybe we can like, well, at, at some point, like the historical conditions will change so much that like Marx will just be a nice, like sort of historical reading that we'll do in like a classics course in the future university. <laughs> but like, until then, like we're still kind of a part of that struggle against the state of things.
1: Yeah. That's a good, that's a really good note. I yeah, man. To end on.
0: Well, you did, that's because I'm really smart.
1: You are. <laughs> Can't argue with that. <laughs> because I'm not really smart. <laughs> <laughs> Uh yeah. So anyway, um not to uh, take away from that, brilliant ending. Uh but this Miranda book's really good. And uh this is a free dissertation topic. I like to give those out. Um read Miranda's book, read Jackal's book, and talk about why Miranda's book is better.
0: There you go. Comparative
1: analysis, but one is better.
0: Yeah, sick. That's a really good idea. I know. It's I a wish really I could uh, I wish I could send that to myself in the past.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't get any jobs, but you have uh, a lot of fun work to do.
0: I mean, Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Magnificast. If you are interested in this conversation, then you should read Jose Miranda's book, Comedy in the Bible. They're not even
1: paying us to promote it. He's dead.
0: Yeah, it's true. Uh, It's a Wiffenstock book, and I think it's pretty cheap. I got it really cheap. Just go go check it out. It's on the internet. (laughs) Um, Also, if you like this podcast, you can give us money on Patreon. uh, Patreon.com slash magnificast you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. You can join our cool Facebook group called The Magnificast Basement. Um, lots of good posts there. You can kind of, like, see other people who are in the community. Nice. Yeah. Just networking, you know.
1: Good friends. Yeah. Good comrades. There you go. <laughs> better friends. Better comrades. Podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, cool. You can find us on two podcast networks. One is called Theology Corner, and the other one's called Critical Mediations, and they're good podcasts on all of those All those places. Um, Specifically, go check out Friendly Anarchism. Go check out Rev Left Radio.
1: Gods and Ghosts.
0: Gods and Ghosts. Really good one. So good, man. Uh, Uh, Season
1: of the Bitches on there. Oh,
0: yeah. That's good, too. Yep. Uh, My favorite episode of of Gods and Ghosts is this one. Um, uh, Shoot. What's the name of the place?
1: (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what your favorite one is. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh...
1: uh, Diners and Dives. Uh,
0: Gods, Ghosts, Diners and Dives. Yeah. It's the one where Tyler Hill, uh, Tyler die. Hill and Cafieri <laughs> go to a couple
1: diners and a couple dives.
0: Yeah, that's my favorite one. Okay, <laughs> go check it out. <laughs> all right, uh, as usual, all the music is from Amari Armstrong, and the outro music um, is from the Logical Spoon. Check it, check it out right now. Happy birthday! Hey, to Matt, to me, and you, I guess, if, if it's you your birthday. Share one. Yeah. Keep your hoods up and you stay up late